0: So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker.
1: Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional hosting your show, and my office is located here in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached to our website, which is www.cwmi.us. Or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, we are very pleased to have with us Michael D. McShane, the Director of Development, Marketing, and Donor Resources at Miller Keystone Blood Center. Michael owned and operated a successful business in the construction industry for 30-plus years while managing the financial, personnel, and marketing aspects of the 100-plus employee company, Michael constantly looked to expand upon his leadership and management skills. After a rewarding career running his own business, Michael has focused his efforts in the nonprofit sector at Miller Keystone Blood Center, utilizing his business acumen acquired during his long career in the for-profit business sector. Michael has helped implement numerous change management processes. Michael is currently the Senior Director of Development, Marketing, and Recruitment serving the blood center in multiple capacities. His leadership has enabled the organization to adapt to the fast-paced changes that are occurring in the healthcare care industry. Michael completed his studies at Penn State University, earning a degree in business administration, graduating summa cum laude. Michael lives with his wife and children in the area where he grew up, which means that giving back to his community is especially important to him. Hi, right, Michael. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Appreciate it very much. Um, one thing I kind of noticed by reading your bio is you, you've got some uh, experience in the for-profit world and then you move into the nonprofit world. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience, I guess, in the for-profit world and why you moved out of that and now what you moved into the nonprofit, what kind of differences you've noticed in that transition?
2: Sure. And thank you for having me today. I'm uh, happy to be here. Um, after a 30 plus year for-profit, uh, uh, lifetime, uh, so to speak. It was, it was an opportunity for me to liquidate uh, my business and um, and look to do something a little different. And I felt at the halftime or half point of my career that giving back was the, the way I was going to achieve that. I have a special needs daughter, so the not-for-profit uh, sector had some appeal for me. And after an introduction to uh, the CEO of the Blood Center, and as a lifelong blood donor, it was a perfect fit for me and uh, one that's been uh, beneficial for both parties.
1: Well, that's just great. Uh, yeah, I noticed, um, yeah, because yeah, so you, you basically did a full career, transitioned out of your business, thought you were retired, and said, hey, look, I need to do something to myself. Because um, that—that—that's I hear that a lot now, especially in my world. I mean, re- retirement really isn't retirement anymore, right? Retirement's just transitioning into something else that you want to do because we have to do something. It was going to be bored out of our minds, right? So that's great. So now you're going into something you really feel passionate about, um, uh, being a lifelong you know blood donor, which is critically important. I know growing up, that was always something that you kept hearing about. we need more blood more blood. And uh, you know, having a special needs daughter, you realize the importance of helping others is critical because there's a lot of people out there that need need assistance. So can you tell me a little bit about um, the differences you saw in the for-profit and the non-for-profit? Because I know when I first I have a little bit of experience in non-for-profit, I know, it's very important to bring that business aspect to the for because there's a big misunderstanding about not-for-profits. Do mm-hmm. you want to tell us about, like, kind of that difference?
2: Yeah, sure. It's, uh, <laughs> it was kind of interesting at the, at the beginning. First of all, the pace uh, of the organization, the pace of decision-making uh, was much slower than I was uh, typically accustomed to. And also there was a mindset that, uh, that a not-for-profit meant that you don't make money. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. I often told my colleagues that not-for-profit is your tax designation. It's not a business philosophy. So we were able to look, and I I in particular, at a lot of the numbers and and the processes and attach values to them and, and try to increase efficiencies because we save lives. That's our goal. But if we make money, we can save more lives. We can get new equipment. People can get raises. And we can keep up with all the advanced technology that's, that's required. So so that part of the uh, equation uh, has been rewarding, as I said, for both both parties.
1: No, and I appreciate that because I know that, you know, I, I'm going to echo cause a little bit of what you said. I mean, one of the things I noticed, like in the nonprofit, a lot of business, even people who donate or, or, or contribute to nonprofits, they think, well, it's all based on people donating money to you and then you go do your mission. But there's actually a business model underneath it. You have to have some type of methodology in most nonprofits to, to provide a service and somehow receive that revenue. And the donations obviously help to support that, but it has to have an underlying business model, right? You have to be able to re, you know, generate income on an ongoing basis somehow. And there's lots of ways nonprofits can do that, but it involves kind of that business mentality mentality. And I know early on when I first started going to these workshops, when I got involved in the nonprofit world, one of the first things that people tell you is that you've got to run it like a business. And as you just said, it's, it's really just a, category, a designation the IRS has for you. That's uh, right. And that's really all it is. And you really have to run it um, like a business. And if something's not working, you, you need to, you know, look at it again or not do it anymore, right? Just, you know, focus on what you, just like a regular business. And I think it's really important for nonprofits to, to have some type of business expertise, either on their board or somehow, Connected into them to look at all these things because it does make a big difference. And that's one of the things you, you were saying is that when you came in with a business background, you were able to implement some of these uh, changes that just come naturally as a right. business owner. Right. Things that you have to do. You have to hit your payroll. You have to you have to do things right. And you were uh, I think you were in the construction industry, right? That's so correct. So there's some similarities with that. I know construction tends to be a little bit cyclical. So, um, so are there any similarities or differences between those two types of businesses? The blood donation world and the construction world.
2: That's a, that's a good analogy that you bring up. Um, first of all, both are pretty highly regulated. Um, we had DEP when I was in the construction business, and now we have FDA. So I still still Just change the letters. <laughs> still change change the letters. I still have some government agency, but the blood the blood business as as to be expected is highly regulated, as it should be, to ensure that it's a safe and that there's an adequate supply of blood for our loved ones in the community. Uh, we offer community service at, at Miller Keystone, um, but uh, we also have expenses. There's testing expense, there's collecting expense, and with most, as with most businesses, those expenses continue to escalate, and there's pricing pressures. So we sell a product, we provide a service, but we sell a product that, that costs us money to make and that's the testing, collection, and distribution of blood. So we don't, like a lot of nonprofits, we don't necessarily run on financial donations, although they are important, and we do have a development arm at the business, Um, but primarily our model is um, volunteer donors on the front end uh, donate blood products. We collect it, we test it, we manufacture various components of that, and then those products are sold to the hospital, um, and it's important that with any business that those expenses stay just a little bit under the revenue that we're trying to accumulate, so that we can keep uh, the the business uh, in 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 sturdy and, and financial shape.
1: I, I mean, one of the things I've noticed every once in a while we see um, uh, you get these kind of appeals. So, so is so my understanding is blood donations we we can't really determine when people are going to need blood, so to speak. So is that kind of cyclical or is it, does it even out or how do you kind of handle the? I'm going to assume there's up and down, right? Because certain times of the years we might be driving more certain times of the years. I don't know. You tell me.
2: Very very much so. Um, Demand stays relatively flat. Um, The challenge that we face is supply uh, fluctuates uh, widely. And the reason being is that 60% of the blood and blood products that we collect come from high schools and from, universities. So when we have schools and universities out during the holidays, summer, is when the challenge is really hard for us. We have vacations in the summer, so a lot of businesses aren't running blood drives. So that's when you'll see appeals by the v- various blood centers across the country. Red Cross, we're not affiliated with the Red Cross, but the Red Cross um, is a quasi-governmental uh, agency that does the same thing. And then you have a series of independent blood centers. Uh, across the region that, that do the other collections. But challenges uh, occur, and we have to face those uh, head-on because uh, I can't uh, fluctuate uh, the demand. If the hospitals require blood, we've got to supply it.
1: Right. That's a very important note. So we'll talk a little bit more about you know the things that the industry has done and that you guys have done to try to help smooth that out on the other end and more about why it's important for people to, um, to donate blood on a periodic basis so we can keep the supply um, as we need it. Because uh, when you go into the operating room, we want to make sure you have enough blood, that's for sure, um, to continue the operation. We'll be right back
0: this is master your finances with kurt baker certified financial planner professional learn about tax efficiency liability owning managing and saving your money and more from kurt and his experienced panel of guests master your finances is underwritten in part by certified wealth management and investment and rider university rider university offers flexible education for adult learners for more information it's rider.edu next step
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker. I'm here with Michael McShane, uh, the Director, Development, Marketing, and Donor Resources at Miller Keystone Blood Center. Uh, and we've been talking about his, his background as a business person. He uh, had a full career, 30 years plus, uh, sold the business, retired, so to speak, and then realized uh, he wants to give back um uh, and, and is doing so and has gotten involved in uh, Miller Keystone Blood Center as a lifetime, a lifelong donor of blood. He realized the importance from a donor perspective, and I guess uh, now you're bringing your business uh, expertise to that. And one of the things we talked about in the last segment was how the, uh, the demand seems to be fairly level, but the supply is what seems to be fluctuating quite a bit, and that has mainly to do with the fact that you've got a lot of donors from high school and college which honestly, I didn't realize. So I think that's interesting because um, when we do it at church, I kind of see, I guess, an older crowd. So that must, be, that must be the anomaly where I'm seeing it these days. But that, that's really good. So what do you do? How do you manage all that? And what types of things you do to try to smooth that out? As you said, like people are gone during you know Christmas and New Year's and things like that, or during the summer or Easter break, things like that. So what do you do about those time periods?
2: well we try to run a lot of programs Uh, we try to uh, put incentives in place for those those times of years we get a lot of community support from radio stations like the Bronx, and and we like to do events and we do quite a few events both at the center and also at uh, various universities Uh, here here at rider we we have an event uh, that's tied in with the scream screen uh, program in in fall we also do Two blood drives here: one in September, and we did one right after uh, November over at the Student Union. And we have a another blood drive coming up in April, uh, tied in with the excellent egg hunt. And we we have great success here. We have great support from from the university, and we're very uh, fortunate to have that. Um, we also, in turn, want to support the university. So we um, it's got to be a two-way street. So we're working, uh, for example, with the Rider Athletic Department, and we set up a platelet program. Platelets are a little different than whole blood, and I'll get into that uh, shortly, but we have a platelet program which have to be collected on machines at our donor center, uh, 1410 Parkside, uh, the former Community Blood Council location, uh, which we took over in January. So the platelet donors coming from the athletic department are uh, registered and tracked, and for every donation uh, of platelets made uh, from the Rider Athletic Department, Miller Keystone's going to uh, do a financial contribution that'll be presented to the Athletic Department in the form of a scholarship, and we'll be doing that at the ESPYs at the end of the year. So, right now, coincidentally, we have the Riders women Women's Battle Team is over at the Donor Center. All the players, coaches, managers, and assistants are over there. Uh, we had... Uh, uh, Folks from the basketball team a couple months ago, and and Tim Lengel, the uh, athletic trainer, who's a longtime platelet donor, has spearheaded this thing. So we've seen a lot of love from from Rider and a lot of support. Um, and and we'd like to show that back through uh, sponsorship and things that we can do uh, to show our support to the university. Uh, TcNJ as well is uh, is also very very staunch advocates for the Blood Center. And we have some programs set up with those folks. And um, another uh, thing that we did with a couple of universities at one of our Pennsylvania locations is we set up a battle for blood. And that was uh, between Lehigh and Lafayette, two fierce rivals on the gridiron. <laughs> well, they did a, they did a blood collection challenge, and we awarded the, the blood cup. Lehigh was the winner, but they increased their numbers uh, by 20, 30 percent. So we made some fun competition which we'll do with the uh, folks here at Ryder, the athletic team that contributes the most uh, pro rata based on team size. We're going to have a pizza party for them at the end of the year. So a lot of fun things that we do with the schools, high schools, universities, competitions, always fuel, uh, you know, drives. We have t-shirt giveaways. We get uh, support from the community and everybody loves t-shirts. And of course, everybody loves the post donation canteen the snacks the cookies and and so that's always part of the process that 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 we find most enjoyable uh, so we're very uh very creative in, in all the things that we do we're giving away a new car right now every oh, wow. every donor is eligible for a chance to win a Subaru Impreza, uh, f- uh, courtesy of Sioka Subaru and um, so yeah program after program incentive after incentive, but, Kurt, at the end of the day, uh, the folks that are donating, they're doing it because they want to help save lives. And the incentives are nice. The cookies are nice. But if you ask a donor, why did you donate, he said, I wanted to help somebody in my community, somebody that I may know, family member. Everybody's going to know somebody that needs blood at some point in their life.
1: That is true. Everybody at some point does need some blood at some point, or a no, family member needs some blood at some point. Right. It is really important um, and yeah, no, and and giving actually, it's it's healthy for you to do this. Correct is my understanding. It's it's healthy to like rejuvenate your blood, right? Is what I'm under, is my understanding. Is that well, true, or is well, that a, well, or is that just? Is I don't. I don't think not, the, not true information. The,
2: I don't think the American <laughs> Medical Association has proven that fact yet. Oh, okay. I'll tell you, it is psychologically healthy. though, oh, okay. no, right. Because All right. when you when you leave the donor center, um, you feel really really good about what you just did, and and we just uh, had a program where we introduced, we've done five of them, where we introduced the folks that donated to the person that actually received their blood. We call it Celebrate Hope. Ah. Uh, These videos, three-minute videos are on our website at giveapint.org, but we actually introduced anywhere from three to, in one case, we had a, a woman that needed over 600 transfusions, and we introduced her to 30 of the actual donors that saved her life, and it was powerful. And if you watch the videos, you can't help but get moved by seeing that this really does do something special. There's no substitute for blood.
1: You Did you say 600 transfusions? 600, 600. I, I can't even imagine that.
2: She had a very rare blood disease and oh a type of cancer. And, and over a, a multi-year period, she's in remission. But uh, she had 600 transfusions, 600 pints.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow. It's amazing. And she's here to... Talk about it. So it does work, right? So, but it does take that took a, at least thirty people. You said, right? Oh to, yeah, to help do that. Quite quite a few. Took took a, took a lot of people to save her. So I, I yeah, when you see a story like that, how can you not want to help out, right? So um, you told you said I guess you told me there's a little bit difference between get donating platelets and and the blood itself. Is that?
2: Yeah um, yeah, whole it, blood donation um, uh, is is a process. Uh, it can be done in, in, on a mobile drive. It can be done in a blood mobile or at our blood center. Um, after your screening uh, process in a mini physical, we give everybody a mini physical, blood pressure, heart rate. Uh, eventually, you get your cholesterol checks. So there's some benefits, health benefits that you do get from from these regular uh, checkups, so to speak. Um, but after that, the, the donor goes into a, a donor chair and... Um, We will do the phlebotomy, uh, which is the uh, needle, of course. And uh, that donor will donate approximately one pint in about 10 to 15 minutes. And that's a whole blood. And it can be manufactured into cryoprecipitate, plasma. We take it into the manufacturing department of our facility, and they can uh, spin off through centrifuges. They can spin off various blood products. Platelets, however... Those are used for cancer patients. It's a blood clotting uh, product. Platelets are a little bit unique. It's a much longer process, but the whole blood is taken out into a centrifuge. The platelets are spun off and then the whole blood returns. So you can do platelet donations much more frequently because there's no blood loss. Mm. But the really uh, critical thing for the platelets is they only have a shelf life of five days. So to manage that, uh, inventory because of that short shelf life makes it very, very difficult, even more critical uh, to get those donors in. And it's a more dedicated donor because the process can take up to an hour and a half, maybe even uh, up to two hours for that whole process. So that's a very, very dedicated group, the platelets, but they're for cancer patients, pediatric cancer. And um, and that's, that's why they're so special. Um, whole blood, on the other hand, has a shelf life of approximately 42 days so that's a little more manageable for us as far as inventory
1: i mean the platelets it's only five days i'm just curious i mean that's the kind of thing where they might call you and say hey i mean do they because this five days that's like to me that's like nothing
2: yeah <laughs> well <laughs> do
1: they have a list of this, saying hey we need some help here can the, you guys come the, in
2: the uh, the thing yeah. with platelets five days is the shelf life but two of those days it's being tested. So we're actually managing three days for that product. So we have a list of platelet donors that do platelets on a regular basis. We have daily goals based on usage of our hospitals. Traumas can change that in a heartbeat though. And we also belong to a network of other blood centers in the U S that if, if we're short or we can export and import Mm -hmm. uh, platelets, we'll do that more so with platelets because of that shelf life than we do with whole blood. But, but they um, they are very very tricky to manage. Uh, we had two traumas the the day before New Year's Eve, and um, they can clean the shelves off in in a in a moment's notice. And and to have those donors scheduled because if we don't use the platelets, they'll attrit, and that's we we certainly don't want that to happen either. So it is a real juggling act with with that particular product. So everybody uh, give it a try. It's. Uh, it's a fantastic donation, very, very valuable. And, uh, you know, we have a nice donor store. You get rewarded a little more for the platelets because of the commitment that you have to make.
1: That's amazing. Uh, well, thank you very much. We'll talk, talk a little bit more about, like, um, the different types. Of, there's different types of blood and things like that. So maybe you can explain that a little bit to us when we come back from the break in, in just a minute or two. Thank you.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. I'm here with uh, Michael McShane, the Director of Development, Marketing, and Donor Resources at Miller Keystone Blood Center. And just before the break, we're talking a little bit about the differences between whole blood and uh, the platelets. And uh, I've given whole blood in the past, and that's you know something that has a pretty good shelf life. But the platelet donors, that's kind of an ongoing basis. because They only have a shelf life of what you said, five days, but two days is processing. So, that's really requires a kind of a dedicated donor base and they have to come back on a constant basis and uh, really help keep that supply because um, you just never know when you're going to have something that happens where you might need a little extra, right? So you have to have these people in place. And so what do you do? Like if, um, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're running a little short or maybe I'm assuming hospitals kind of have connections with certain places, right? Here's where I get my blood. Mm -hmm. So what happens if all of a sudden, maybe you don't have quite enough. I mean, because you, you mentioned there's some other places that also do it as well. It's not just one entity, right? Right. Do you somehow coordinate with each other? or Is there a way to talk to each other if well, things come well, up? We,
2: we do, and, you know, we belong to the Blood Centers of America, which is a, a, a national organization um, that, that the different centers will support each other. The uh, typical arrangement um, for us is, you know, with the regional blood center, which we are, is we – We have approximately 25 hospitals that we provide blood and blood products to. Um, We're the primary and, in most cases, sole supplier. Um, The model was set up for regional blood centers. Um, The Red Cross typically will be centered in larger urban areas, Philadelphia, D.C., Boston, New York. And and the smaller hospitals that were in in more suburban areas – uh, found that there was a need that wasn't being met. So a lot of these blood centers across the country were formed, in fact, by the hospitals that wanted to make sure they had a consistent supply, safe supply, adequate supply of blood. So so that's how we were kind of created, is by the local hospitals, and we support hospitals in New Jersey and and in Pennsylvania. Uh, we have uh, four fixed-site uh, donor centers that we do collections at. Uh, one here in Trenton, of course, is our, is our newest. And so we, um, we manage the, the inventory based on history, and we have goals set, and we'll do tele-recruitment. We have personal scheduling assistants that make phone calls to our donors to try to get them into the fixed site. We have salespeople that go out and meet with businesses and schools and churches uh, and various organizations to arrange blood drives. So we'll, do, we'll come to you with the mobile uh, blood mobile, uh, we have about eight of those uh, or we'll go in and do an inside setup in a gymnasium or a church basement and so we'll collect blood uh, that way and so we set goals based on typical demand and then we always like to have you know a buffer there for traumas and 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 uh, terrible things but um, if if there's a shortage we'll call on our our brethren if you will around the country as we helped with the floods in Houston we helped uh, our, our centers in Houston, we helped with the Las Vegas shootings, the one plus or the one, uh, nightclub act, uh, incident down in, in, uh, in Orlando. So we all support each other and we'll export and import, uh, to try to f- fill those gaps.
1: Right. So that's really important. All right. We work together. So there's a lot, I know when you go to give blood, they, they, well, even when you go in to get doctor's appointment where right? they come and they tell you, hey, look, you're like an A positive and all that kind of stuff. I know that stuff has to kind of match up and things like that. So you'd explain a little bit the, how all that works and why that's important to understand.
2: Sure, sure. No, that's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's more complicated than than one would think. But there's four four main blood types, A, B, A, A, and B, A, B, and O. And then each of those have an R H of positive or negative. So you really have uh, eight different um, uh, blood types, eight different types of donors, and the population is is made up of different percentages of those donors. The um, the typical donor, as an A positive myself, I can only receive A positive blood, or I can receive the universal blood, which is O negative. So, in the event of a trauma, O negatives are the universal blood. They're given; they can be given to anybody. The challenge, though, though is O-negatives only make up about 7% of the population. So it's a very small population uh, population to pool from versus the O-positives and the A-positives are approximately 30% of the population. So, so the challenge, because if a trauma victim comes in from a car accident or a, a shooting or stabbing, uh, they don't have time to type that person. So the first thing they do is they start... Uh, administering or transfusing O negative blood. So the O negative usage uh, is much higher than what its base in the population is. So that's a very challenging, like platelets, That's a very challenging uh, blood product for us to make sure that we maintain. And so we usually call on those poor O neg donors uh, pretty, we lean on them pretty hard because of the need.
1: Well, that's. I never really thought about that in a trauma incident. They just automatically give you a certain type because they don't have the time to, to figure out what type you are. I mean, is that. I mean, should we all be wearing around a, a wristband or something that tells everybody what our blood type is, like they do in the like the military places, like that?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think <laughs> that doesn't work. I mean, it days, would huh? be nice, but I, I think that I don't think that they the hospitals would would, they feel, would probably
1: wouldn't even pay attention.
2: Feel safe uh, yeah. with with that that they want to do the test themselves. But one of the, Kurt, one of the interesting uh, facts, you know, and we have some different stats that I. I like to share with people, but one of the one of the most important ones, the one that hits home the hardest for me, is that only 40% of the population is eligible to donate. So that means 60% either are taking medications, or they traveled to a malarial area, or um, they had can- some form of cancer. There's some reason that they are not eligible to donate. So you, any population, whether it's a city whether it's a university, whether it's a state, the whole country, only 40% of the population is eligible. The number of people that actually donate is only 3 to 4%. Really? Wow. So 3 to 4% of the population supplies 100% of the blood. So those are pretty telling statistics. Everybody's going to know somebody that needs blood. Um, the number one excuse, I don't have time. Right. That's the number one excuse. and We well, just and said it
1: took 15 minutes to get whole blood. Yeah, all, can all, all
2: in, it's one hour. And if <laughs> if you could give one hour, you can save up to three lives with that donation. But that's the number one excuse is I, I, I never thought about it, and I don't have time. I'm too busy. So, you know, we really, you know, this is educating the public. We need donors. Come into our donor center. Sign up for a blood drive at your workplace or or anywhere that you see a, a, a blood a drive. Blood, uh, a drive going on because it literally saves lives. There's no substitute. And uh, the challenge is, is the the older generation, um, like myself, they're starting to fall off the wayside because you were right when you said before that it seems like it's older folks. It's our typical donors, 45 to 60. They're the right. the giving generation. They get it. They went through wars. They saw mm-hmm. the need. and And, uh, and so we really – we really need to develop and educate that next generation of donors and that's these great college kids, these high school kids, you know, they're they're the future of blood donation because as i said there's no substitute. So um a lot of challenges, but that's why we feel uh, confident that this uh, younger generation is going to understand and they're going to they're going to uh, give back and and help us with our cause.
1: So what about employers? I mean the first thing that comes to mind for me is employers, they're always you Know, trying to do community stuff all the time. That to me, this sounds like a fairly, almost like a no brainer, for lack of a better word, especially for kind of a mid sized larger company where, you know, they could set something like this up on site or have a place to do this kind of thing. I mean, a small employer might be tough, but if you're a mid sized or larger employer, even if you have like 25, 30 employees, I mean, I can't, I mean, I had, I mean yeah. it seems to me like there should be ways. I mean, I'm thinking about like office buildings around here and, you know, like a Carnegie Center where you've got multiple buildings and, you know, I guess I guess I'm a little surprised that some employers aren't a little more engaged in this kind of thing.
2: Well, it, it's it's a challenge, you know. First of all, given the population that's eligible and the population that does, you know, our our typical threshold, lower threshold for employers is that 50 to 75 employee range. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you fall below that, it's a little more difficult to be efficient enough to actually run a drive because you might only get four or five. Uh, Units And and we can't go out for that. So typically, it's the larger employers that we do blood drives. We run Mm -hmm. over 2,000 blood drives a year at businesses and high schools and colleges. So most of the large employers, if not all, we do drives with. We're starting to build a big drive uh, donor base here in Trenton with a lot of the larger employers in the Trenton area. And so that's where we target. But most of those companies do do blood drives. The hospitals, big employers, they're the ones that use the blood, so right. we, we really lean on them because of their populations to, to get donors. I would hope they
1: would understand it. They, they work in that atmosphere. They, they, they do. They do. <laughs> well, it's good that people are engaged. And I mean, I'm a little uh, disappointed, I guess. I, I guess I had no idea only 40% are eligible. To me, that's a much lower number than I would have thought, um, and then only 3 to 4%. Unfortunately, that doesn't totally surprise me. Only 10% of the ones eligible are donating. Wow, it'd be nice to get that number up a little bit. I hope I hope we find ways to do that. Um, we we'll back in the next uh, in just a few minutes to talk a little bit more about the importance of donating blood and what we can do to, to make sure this happens, so we all have the blood supply that we need. Be right back.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker here with Michael D. McChain, the Senior um, Director, of Development, Marketing, and Donor Resources at Miller Keystone Blood Center uh, here locally. And We've been talking about the importance of donating blood to keep the supply going. Um, I thought one interesting fact that he mentioned was that uh, most of the donations are coming from high school and college students. So. Those of us a little older, we need to we need to get engaged here and start participating in this. Um, it's really important. Uh, if you're an employer, uh, like a mid mid-sized larger employer that uh, has enough people there, uh, if you're not doing it already, please get involved in this and make sure that um, you're working with that. I know that there's a need and you need to keep doing it. Um, and we want to make sure that we're increasing donations. So, what are some of your thoughts about helping? Because you've got once you get somebody doing something i think right sometimes you can just help the situation by getting to do it a little bit more right right because <laughs> you have somebody who obviously understands the importance so what are some of the, the thoughts about what are the rules about how often you can give how do you get people to kind of think about it more than just when they maybe bring the blood mobile to, to work right how do we how do we kind of transition that into a little bit more participation
2: that, that's a great question um our average donor and we have approximately 50 to 55,000 donors in our uh, donor base, uh, which is a large group. um, But we need to see 450 donors every single day to meet the demands of our hospital. So the average blood donor donates 1.3 times a year. So that means you have one donor that's donating once and you have one donor that's donating three times. If we could get our donor base, including platelets and whole blood donors, to donate one more time we would never be short of blood or blood products. It's really quite quite that simple. So we're talking about one more donation. If you donated once, donate twice. One more hour in a whole year. If you donated three times, donate four. If you never donated, donate once. That's one more too. So if we could do that, as simple as that sounds, but if you really think about what you're doing in literally one hour, it's not much of a sacrifice if you look at it in the grand scheme of our lives.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, it, to me, it's kind of a must. I mean, there's no other way to get blood at this point. I'm assuming, I mean, I every once in a while you hear about, hey, we're going to start manufacturing blood. I don't, that hasn't happened yet, right? You can't, there is no such thing as artificial blood, like art, Like we have synthetic oil, right? Yeah. We don't have synthetic blood yet.
2: No, they've they've been trying for for many, many years to uh, find a substitute and have not been successful. Um, hopefully someday, you know, a cure for cancer, or substitute for blood, I mean, it would be, it would be wonderful. But uh, right now, we're, we're relying on voluntary uh, blood donors. We don't pay for blood. The FDA mandates that all the donations have to be voluntary, and uh, and that's why we rely on a very uh, dedicated group that uh, that gets it.
1: Oh, interesting. So, uh, well, that's, that's really important. <laughs> you really have to be dedicated, so that's great. So, um, but you do have the incentives of the colleges, so you can a little bit of give back, right? But yeah. you, can't, you just can't pay
2: directly. I can't pay individuals for, you know, we can't pay individuals for blood or blood products. But but yeah, you can you can incentivize. I mean, we have companies that do a lot of different things. We have some that that give uh, uh, lunch vouchers to their employees. We have so the
1: company can,
2: though. The company there can. There you go. That's good. We have companies right. that uh, will give them paid time off. Uh, for anybody that donates, we have other companies that will... Uh, give them credits that they'll use against their copay for health insurance. So there's a whole slew of creative ways in which uh, companies can get involved and get their uh, get their folks uh, uh, to uh, to donate. And you know we support them all all along the way. We have uh, donor resource reps that work with every company and every coordinator at that company to give you marketing support materials. and And all of our signups are done online. Uh, through our donor portal, so we make it very, very easy for you to run a blood dri- run a blood drive. Just contact uh, uh, Miller Keystone at give giveapint.org, or you can call one eight hundred Be a Donor. is another way that you can get in touch with us, and and we'll tell you more about how you can run a blood drive, how you can help save lives together with Miller Keystone.
1: So, are there rules about because we need we want people to give more blood more often? I remember. That, are there rules about how often it's recommended you give it? Or, I mean, you can't do it every day, right? Because, I mean, I've seen these like, movies where there's like, the person's like trying to, grow blood. No, it's like, they, like, draining his blood. I mean, they're the, comedies usually, but yeah. you're like, oh, wait a minute. No, you can't.
2: The, the human body <laughs> takes, it takes about 40 plus days to replenish a pint of blood. So the FDA has mandated that uh, blood, whole blood donations need to be 56 days apart. So fifty six days for whole blood, platelet donations you can do twenty four times per year because there's no blood loss. So, so uh, platelet donors can can certainly donate uh, more frequently because of of that fact. Um, one other little interesting uh, stat that I wanted to we just had our ninth uh, about three weeks ago we had our ninth hundred gallon donor uh, who who achieved the hundred gallon mark and if you. If you just think about that for a minute, um, that's 800 pints, that's 2,400 lives saved from one person, and we have nine of them. Wow. And if you think of it even further, 100 gallons is 25-gallon buckets of blood and blood products. So we have some real, these are older gentlemen, of course, but have right. been donating their whole life on a very, very regular basis. But... Uh, uh, pretty, pretty amazing group of, of folks that that have met a huge milestone of a hundred, a hundred gallons.
1: Well, that's just incredible. I mean, you have, uh, wow, that's amazing. So have you ever had like a, like an ongoing, I'm sure you have, where you have donors go in and all of a sudden they're like, now they're the recipient of this. they like, wow, this is really kind of feeling for both ends a little bit. We've and had that.
2: Go. We've had that occur, Kurt. Yeah. We also had a donor that came in and, um, when he was going through his physical, um, our <clears throat> phlebotomist noticed a an irregularity in his heartbeat. The guy uh, didn't donate, obviously. Went and saw his doctor, and and uh, and apparently had arrhythmia. And this was an early sign that he was a possible heart attack victim. So we've had some folks where we've saved their lives without even giving them blood, just by going through the the process with us. But but uh, but yeah, there's there's a million stories out there, you know, young and old that. That have benefited from this um you know we've had we've had children uh, donate for their parents we've had uh, just a tremendous the stories are are amazing um you know if you look back and we have a lot of those on our website uh, uh as i say, giveapint.org tells some of the great stories of of some of the things that these uh, amazing blood donors have done and how they've impacted you know the
1: community well, that's incredible. I, I remember reading once, I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody, if they know they're going in for like an operation, can they like donate their own blood for their own use? Is that still, is that a possibility? Does that actually happen?
2: Yes, it does. That's uh, that's called uh, autologous donation and, and we do that. We have some autologous or therapeutic donors that because their platelet counts get too high, they need to come in and donate on a regular basis to maintain uh, safe uh, levels within their own uh, bodies and also we've had some donors come in and, and donate in advance of a surgery that was upcoming and, and use their own blood for, for their own transfusion.
1: That's amazing. So it's very flexible in what can be done. And um, it's kind of amazing. Um, all the story. I know it's important for the community to, to do this, right? So we really need to kind of encourage that. Um, get the employers involved, get your, especially the larger ones involved. Um, you talked about maybe getting um, commercial districts like where maybe they can you know put a bunch of employers together, maybe they can do something. I mean, I just keep thinking about Carnegie Center because there's like all these large corporate buildings where maybe there's small companies in there, but together, I mean it's a pretty good um, yeah, pretty that, good group of people if if you can get them all to coordinate somehow
2: that that's a nice model, and you know we've done that with uh, with a few places already, and it, it usually you pick one business that kind of spearheads it and and goes out and recruits uh, donors along with our our folks, and we send recruiters out the day of the drive. Our drives are usually planned three, four months in advance. So there's plenty of time to plan, plenty of time to recruit, uh, plenty of education materials to help uh, sell the message and, and educate people. That's really, at the end of the day, Kurt, that's what it's all about. That's why I'm here, is we just need to educate. A lot of people just don't know yeah. that only 3% of the population donates blood.
1: Yeah, that's that's. Well, let's get it up to let's get it beyond, let's right? Let's get it to move four, five percent, one percent. We'll solve the whole problem, uh, or donate more if you're already donating. So, thanks, Michael, for coming on today. We sincerely appreciate it. Uh, very important part of our, uh, basically our whole medical system that a lot of people just don't, they kind of take for granted when you go into the hospital and there's that little bag of plasma or blood there helping out. And, uh, but it did, there's a big process behind that, and there's a lot of dedicated people. Uh, that make that happen on an ongoing basis. So we really need to support that. And if you're not already giving, please uh, check it out um, and uh, make sure that you are participating in your local uh, blood um, collection uh, agency uh, because it is important nationwide that we do take care of that. Uh, you've been listening to Master Your Finances, and today we had Michael McShane, who's a Director of uh, Development, Marketing, and Donor Resources at Miller Keystone Blood Center. Um, you can reach us through... Um, uh, www.masteryourfinances.us. You can see this podcast as well as all our podcasts uh, at masteryourfinances.us, or you can contact me directly at 609-716-4700. And remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind.
0: That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.